So what do, uh, what do uh, Paul Bunyan, Jack and the Beanstalk, and 1 Samuel all have in common? They all are stories involving a giant. Very good. But only one of those stories really happened. And we're in the story of David and Goliath, part two, the dramatic conclusion. Last week, we left our young hero in the presence of King Saul near the front lines where Goliath was taunting the armies of Israel, mocking them, telling them to send forth a, a, a champion of their side to do battle with him, to go mano a mano to fight one against one And no one had the courage to step up and take on Goliath, this nine-foot spear-wielding monster, until the shepherd from Bethlehem steps forward. In verse 32, we pick up our reading then, as you see in your Scripture sheet, a lot of of, of Scripture we're going to look at from 1 Samuel 7. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine or Philistine, (laughs) however you want to say it. Uh, Then Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And David said to, or Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. And then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed them with armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. He took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had even in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine." And then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beast of the field." Stop there. This is known as trash talking in the context of athletic competition. A lot of that will go on on football fields around, around the country today. It is designed to intimidate and to drain courage from your opponent. It's also much more effective when you're nine feet tall. Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. 
Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to David that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. And thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now, if this were a movie like Spider-Man or Rocky 127 or 19, at this point, you would all break out in applause. I said it. <laughs> Yay! I mean, this is a big moment. So, this got even those cowardly Israelites excited. We read on verse 52. The men of Israel... And Judah rose, shouted, pursued the Philistines as far as the valley into the gates of Ekron, and the slain Philistines lay along the way to Sha'araim, even to Gath and Ekron. The sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. <coughs> then David, said, uh, David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his weapons in his tent. So David added Goliath's head to the trophies that he had won as a shepherd defending his sheep. So what a great great story we have here that we began to look at last week. David serves as a wonderful example, and I want us today to consider three things about this giant killer of a man. The first is his faith. We started to look at that last Sunday. We saw that his faith was born in secret, nurtured in solitude. We saw that it was exercised in lonely conflict, especially in defending his sheep. And uh, uh, and uh, it stood the test of daily life. That was our third point last week, right? He stood the test of daily life. It survived criticism, which he received from his older brother Eliab, and it survived negativity, which he got plenty of from King Saul. So David had a tough faith. And since I have one more observation on his faith, I make it point number one for today, David's faith in God. What about it? Well, I want you to notice that his faith in God withstood the reasonings of the flesh. We already talked about how David had, uh, how Saul had tried to discourage David from moving forward with his intentions to take on Goliath. Verse 33, Saul said to him, you are not able to go against this Philistine. You're but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. So the king, who's looking for somebody to face the giant, when David offers himself, discourages him. He actually encourages him to quit. And perhaps David's flesh was saying hearty amens. His flesh was saying hearty amens to what Saul was offering. Uh, but David had faith in God. In whom? Not in David. When someone tells the Christian that he or she is unable to do something or deal with a certain situation, he has not told us anything new. You say, Dan Henley, you're not able to pastor a church. You are but a youth. And what do I say to that? I say, well, you're a bit late with that, uh, that observation. But then I agree. You are absolutely correct. I am not able to do this job. But I'm not doing this on my own and by my own strength. By God's might and God's spirit, I can do this. And what I can do may be limited by God's will, but it's not limited by my power or my lack thereof. 
David could look at his own arms, then he looked at Goliath's, and he said, oh no. Uh, He could look at his legs, and then look at Goliath's, and he said, oh no. He could look at his weapons, and then at Goliath's weapons, and he might say, give me a break. And I'm sure David noticed all of these things. He was no fool, but what he was was a man of spiritual vision, a man of faith. He saw all the facts that the other soldiers could see, but he saw something more. He saw something extra. What was that? Well, he saw the living God, the warrior God, ready to fight for him, ready to fight in him, ready to fight through him. And he said in verse 7 or 47, the battle belongs to the Lord. Say that with me. The battle belongs to the Lord. David had faith in God. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, or 2 Kings chapter 6, story about Elisha, the Lord's prophet, who was uh, hated by the Syrians because he kept giving away their battle plans to the armies of Israel, and they got really annoyed with, with that. And so the Syrians tracked Elisha down, and they were ready to kill him. And we read uh, there, verse 15, when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, you got the picture here? He walks out of his tent. He sees the armies of the Syrians surrounding them on every side, 5,000 or so strong. Uh, and, he, and he said, Uh-oh, this does not look good. Can't you imagine this valet uh, to the prophet? He hears Elijah say, we got more than they do. And he, and he does the math here, 5,000 or so, one, two. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, this, is not, this is not that close, uh, prophet boss. Right, so verse 17, Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. So Elisha saw something. He saw the armies of Syria, but he saw something more, didn't he? He was able to see into the realities or the realm of the Spirit, as it were. He saw the reality of God's support and God's power. He saw that one man with God is a majority, and he wasn't about to think that any human army on horses could whip God. David had this same kind of vision of faith, and so we want to learn faith like that. God says, you are indwelt, Christian, by the greatest power in the universe, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Elijah prayed, Lord, open his eyes. And we sometimes sing a song like that, don't we? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. It's taken from Paul's prayer in the first chapter of Ephesians. But whereas the song that we sing has us asking God for grace in order to see Him, the apostles' prayer is asking God to let us grasp the magnitude of His power, which is at work in our lives. Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you'll know the hope of His calling, the riches of the glory of His inheritance, and the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. Paul was concerned that you see the same thing that Elijah's servant got 
to see just how great is the power of God working on our behalf. And I need another amen at this point. Now back to the front lines, verse 43 of our text says, the Philistines said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? <laughs> and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. And how do you think young David could withstand Goliath's intimidation, his trash talking on top of Saul's discouragement and Eliab's criticisms. David, he listened to all the propaganda of the world. He saw it for what it is, and he called it a lie. We undercut what the world sends our way when we're able to look at it and say, that right there, that's a lie. And it comes from the pit. He knew that Goliath was spiritually blind. He knew that Goliath could only see in him, David, a weak vessel, and that the poor giant had no idea that he was about to go to battle with the creator of the universe. David listened to the propaganda of the world, and he called it a lie. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. We've sung of the name of the Lord. Goliath had no respect for that name, only the respect for swords and spears. But what do you want, Christian? Do you want the power of sword and spear on your side, or do you want God's name and a little sling? Quit thinking like some uncircumcised Philistine seeing only the externals and start thinking like a child of God. God is real. Trust in Him. Act out of His power. Imitate David. Have faith in God to take down the giants in your life. Now, I said I had three points. We've covered one. The second point today is David's understanding of how God works. David said the battle is the Lord's. He believed this, but that belief did not produce laziness in him. He did not say, okay, God, God's going to take care of this, so why, why should I bother? God's going to take young Goliath. I don't need to do it. No, his confidence that God would work is what pushed him out to the battle. He understood that God normally does His work through His people. Goliath died by the dual work of David and of God. Please don't ever think, don't ever think it's God who makes me a better man, a better woman, so I don't, I don't have to work to do anything. I'm just going to rest and trust. No, no, no. Don't ever think that God is going to save His elect so I don't need to be engaged in prayer and blessing, and I don't need to witness and pray. Trust in God does not negate human effort. Human effort does not negate trust in God. Now, there's once or twice in the Old Testament where God says to His people, I got this, y'all just sit back and watch. But that was, not, that was the exception, not the rule. Normally, what did He say to the armies of Israel? Go and fight, and as you do, watch me deliver you. David said in verse 32, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And again in verse 
34, your servant was tending his sheep and his bear. When a lion came and took him from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and killed him. Who killed those beasts? David. Who will kill Goliath? David. Yes, but listen to verse 37. What's he say? The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. David says, I killed them. God delivered me. I killed them. God delivered me. There is human activity and there is divine activity. In God's word, the car of truth runs on two rails. A great many people want to pull up one of those two rails. They won't accept both elements of this equation. They say it is, well, it's either God's work or it's our work, but the Word says it is both, and although this may be a puzzle on paper, in practice it makes perfect sense. Philippians 2, Paul says, My beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both the will and the work for His good pleasure. Paul says you have the responsibility to work out, not physically but spiritually. You do some work, but he quickly adds that you do your work through, by, and in the provision of God who is doing His work in you. As in David's great deed, the practical action of the believer throwing his whole might into his master's service, perfectly well agrees with his falling back upon the working of God and knowing that it is God who works all things for him. It's clear. David slew the lion and the bear and the Philistine. Equally clear is that God delivered David from all three of those. Now, David, just because he trusted in God, he did not approach Goliath in a haphazard way, did he? No, he did not. We read of the decision concerning the armor. He thought through, what, do I put on this, this fancy armor that I'm not familiar with? The grand armor of his king? Never practiced in that? Or would he simply use the tools that he was comfortable with? David made a judgment to go with the familiar. Had David tried to use Saul's armor, would we have ever heard of David? I don't know, but I know this. Faith in God did not mean that good strategy is irrelevant. Those of us in ministry leadership, <laughs> you know, we're always dealing with that. We need a great strategy for doing our ministry. That's okay, but don't forget to pray. And as you're praying, don't forget that it's worth some time figuring out the wisest strategy to accomplish our goals. David went and picked out five stones from the brook to put in his little bag. <laughs> Why five stones? Why not just one stone? Lack of faith on David's part? Wasn't sure he's going to hit him with the first one? Wasn't sure just one stone would take down a nine-foot giant? No, no. Wise preparation, brothers and sisters. These things aren't incompatible. Keeping a spare tire in your car is not an indication that you don't trust God to take care of you. God commands thoughtful preparation for future needs. David was getting ready to fight, and he thought a nine-foot-tall giant might take more than one stone, so he picked up four extras. Just so, I believe when I preach, I ought to be prepared 
as if the success and impact of my messages depended fully on my preparations and energy and delivery. But when I am thoroughly finished preparing, I am to trust God as if I had done nothing at all. William of Orange, the godly man who led the Dutch in their fight for freedom in the 16th century, was famous for saying this, trust God and keep your gunpowder dry. (laughs) Trust God and keep your gunpowder dry. Not either or, but both and. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, work for God with all your might as if you did it all, but then always remember that it is God who is at work in you both the will and to do his good pleasure. How is it that the Philistine will be killed? By God, says one. True, but not without David. By David, says another. Yes, but not without God. Put the Lord on the march with David, and you put the Philistines into untimely graves. Are you ready to put the enemies of truth into untimely, well, kind of like, you know, bury their lies at least? How will you do it? By the hand of God or by your own efforts? Well, again, dear friend, it's both. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 writes of how he and the other leaders of the early church, they planted in the field, they watered in the field of the Lord, but God gave the increase. He said there, Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 9, we are God's fellow workers. <laughs> Read that with me. For we are God's fellow workers workers, and then say, wow, wow. I mean, that, that, that's a wow. That's a wow right there. We work, and God works through us, for us, in us. I trust you see my point. Many stumble by misunderstanding how God works with men and women to bring about His purposes, but point two, David had an understanding of how God works. May we as well. Point number three for today is this, that David had faith in God's power and understanding of, he had faith in God's power, he had understanding of God's work, and thirdly, he had zeal for God's glory. Zeal for God's glory. And I believe here we touch on the ultimate concern of David's heart in this whole affair. He was not out to win glory for himself. He was not out to be the king's son-in-law. He was not out to obtain riches. David came to the battle. He heard the scornful taunts of Goliath, and he felt compelled to fight for the honor of his God. David was indignant that Goliath should be allowed to blaspheme God without reproof. So I love how he says this, verse 26 of chapter 17, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should taunt the armies of the living God. I wish we had that on a YouTube clip, you know. He's thinking, he can't get away with that. Verse 36, your servant has killed the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. David is not impressed He's not impressed by the ungodly. He knows anybody that wicked is headed to destruction. His ears cannot bear the words of Goliath. Why? He had a zeal for God's glory. Zeal, zealous. It's very very closely aligned with jealous. He was jealous to see God honored, and his heart was stirred by the taunts of the giant. Makes me ask myself, what is it that stirs me? How about you? 
What, what really gets your adrenaline going? Most of us, sadly, we get, uh, we get upset. We get, we get our heart racing by personal insults and offenses, right? I've enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed years back reading some uh, stories of life in rural Georgia written by a guy named Farrell Sams who grew up there around the same time my mother grew up in Georgia. And, and he tells uh, of when he was a young boy and he and a friend had planted a watermelon patch uh, and uh, they, were, uh, they worked very, very hard to take care of the soil, get the plants and seeds where they needed to go. They, were, they worked hard and they were excited to see the result of their labor. Uh, and when the melons were ripe, they decided that they would sleep out by the watermelon patch to make sure that no one came by and stole their watermelons. They, they carried guns to shoot and scare, at least, any potential thief. And sure enough, some young guys came along trampling on their fine patch and about to take a watermelon, and the young feral got so angry, he did not shoot off a warning shot. He picked up his gun and fired it right at the potential thieves. Fortunately, it was a pellet gun. But man, oh man, did the injustice of that moment ever stir him. Everybody gets stirred up like that from time to time. But men and women, God... Or men and women of God get stirred up by a very different set of things. David says in Psalm 69, verse 9, Zeal for thy house has consumed me. This is the word quoted about Christ, you know, when he goes into the temple and overturns the, the, the tables of the money changers. Zeal for thy house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach thee have fallen on me. You see what he says? Reproaches of those who reproach you. That's what I feel. When you, O oh God, are reproached, I feel it as my own. Is that true of you? Are you grieved when you hear men and women berate our Savior or His Word? Are you grieved when you see Christ disgraced by those who wear His name, particularly maybe leaders in His church? David says, zeal for your house has consumed me, and that's why he must rid Israel of this uncircumcised Philistine. In Psalm 139, David says this, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. Well, that's kind of uncharitable of David, isn't it? Why does he say this? Well, he goes on. For they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. You read his story. It's astonishing, really. David meekly bore accusations against himself, but he could not stand accusations against God. He goes on. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Why? Because they badmouth David? Because they cut him off from a parking spot? Because they messed up his meal order at the restaurant? No, no. Because they had spoken ill of his God. Zeal for the glory of God. May we be gripped by such as this. 
Again in our text, you see verse 46. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. He says, you are going to die, Goliath. You and your buddies with you and your dead bodies will testify to the reality of the God you scorn. Okay. A couple of years ago, uh, remember back two years ago, the former world, <laughs> uh, we did a series on Isaiah, themes from the prophet Isaiah, and, and one of the themes was this one, God's concern for His own glory in the earth. The purpose of God, that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, that the name of the Lord would be famous. When David came to Goliath, how did he come? Verse 45 tells us again, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the name above every name. David said in our verse for the month, Psalm 124.8, say it with me, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. David came to Goliath with faith in God, by the power of God, in the name of God, for the glory of God. David was a man who had faith in God's power, a man who understood God's, uh, who had an understanding of God's worth, a man who had zeal for God's glory, faith, understanding, and zeal. Funds. <laughs> we, we need these. We want these. We want to be fuzzy Christians. <laughs> full of faith, full of understanding, full of zeal. How about it, brothers? You want to be a fuzzy guy? Huh? Ladies, want to be fuzzy, fuzzy believers? Boy, I do. I, I want to see scoffers subdued by the armies of God. I want to see the church, which men often mock, being the respected, feared power that God calls her to be. How beautifully the doxology of Paul fits in here. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. That's faith in God's power. Next part. According to the power that works within us. That's an understanding of God's work. The rest of it, verse 21. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever. That's zeal for God's glory. So let's pray together that it may be so in us. Taylor is going to come lead us in prayer as we wrap up our meditations today. Please bow your heads in prayer with me. God, we come before you. We repent of our self-obsession. We repent of our self-centeredness. Lord, many of us work hard every single day. Work hard at school, at home, at the office. But are we working for you? Are we working for ourselves? Are we working for your glory or our own? Lord, we get so distracted. We get so off track, and we forget what our lives are all about, making much of you and shining a spotlight on Jesus Christ, who is the only true purpose of life, the only hope that exists. 
Lord, help us to lay aside every single sin, every single weight that so easily entangles us and trips us up, and help us to run with perseverance the race marked out for us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we would lift him high so that all could see him. If there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you, Lord, may you lift the veil that lies over their spiritual eyes so they would see your beauty, they would see your glory, they would see all that they're missing. In Jesus' name, amen.